Welcome, welcome to Roll for Intent. I'm Game Master Liam from Cardinal Adventures. You weren't expecting Christian or Trevor, were you? Don't mind those bags um, making noise in the corner. That's not Christian or Trevor. Mm. No, I'm just kidding. All right, all right, I'll untie him, I'll untie him. So, gentlemen, I'm hosting the show today. What do we think about that? Somebody somebody left the net gun out again. Who's in charge (laughs) of locking that up? And they failed their perception check. (laughs) I, yeah. Well, we probably should stop writing all of the combos to all of the locks on post-it notes, because I think when Liam was here last time, he probably just jotted those down. (laughs) I will not confirm nor deny that. I'm so forgetful, though. Either way, gentlemen, uh, I'm going to be asking the questions today. Uh, So the first question I have for the two of you is, uh, have you guys stuck to your New Year's resolutions if you had any? I know some people don't believe in that stuff, but uh, I guess we'll start with Trevor for this question. I don't generally do New Year's resolutions, but the closest I have is work-related, unfortunately, which is really dry and boring. We had a lot of staffing changes after the new year, and I'm like really keen on making sure that the stuff that I'm in charge of is right. Uh, so that's probably my closest thing to a new year's resolution is I got a really big client that is uh, pretty much my whole life at work, and I'm trying to get them more handled and get a better grasp on them. And so far, so far, it's going well. Awesome. We'll kick it over to Christian. Oh, my New Year's resolution was very easy. I sign tons of paperwork every day. And my New Year's resolution was to not screw up writing the year at the beginning of the year. (laughs) Instead of 23, you know, 22, and then you add the little loop at the bottom Mm -hmm. trying to make it a three. That was it. I I tried to keep it small so far. I'm doing good. There you go. There you go. I write nothing, but I have to delete twos all day now because I keep forgetting. (laughs) (laughs) So in terms of your guys' uh, Abomination Vault's adventure path, uh, how far are you guys along? Just because I'm running that as well. So I, uh, and another friend of mine who's a game master is also running that. So I love comparing the, uh, the progress between people's games. I think, what, almost a little over a year in, we just technically completed book one? <laughs> no, we're not done with book one. Oh, my mistake. Oh, you my. just made it down onto the fourth floor in the most recent episode, the most recently released. We've recorded farther than that, and they're a bit farther, but we're only like four ahead of the release right now. We've been very, very naughty on our uh, runway. We've kind of let it dwindle, but we uh, just nicely, as of the released episodes, made their way downstairs. I think by the time this one releases, um, they will have finished the first combat that they walked into on the uh, fourth floor and will be engaged in another one with a really fun end to it, I think. So are you referring to the third sub-basement fourth floor, or do you mean fourth floor as in like fourth sub-basement? I think it's technically the third sub-basement. Okay. So So it's usually a gated. The end of the book. The end of book book one. Gotcha. Gotcha. That last floor book one. I wish I could say the same about my uh, my group. They are um, they see stairs, they take stairs. <laughs> so oh, uh, no, they they made that mistake once. Yeah, I will I will say this at least they they were level two going into it, 
So, because they did the beginner box into the Abomination Vaults. So, at least they didn't get one shot by anything, (laughs) but pretty close. Um, Yeah. So, So our rogue, uh, when they got to the the first sub basement and they have the the well, Mm -hmm. he just repelled right down the hole. (gasps) Just down. No. Yeah, it was almost a big oh no. Yeah, that was rough. (laughs) He almost bit it right there. He didn't. But uh, it was, yeah. yeah, they they learned the lesson after that. They're not like, oh, hole, let's go. Mm-mm, no more. Let's just go. Let's I, just ironically, go. almost a year later, that that gibbering mouther killed the paladin. <laughs> Dude, Spoilers. that thing, oh, that thing, uh, <laughs> well, we won't tell them what floor it's on. But let's just say that thing almost one-tapped our frontliner. And because uh, he's playing one of my homebrew, because um, I made the samurai from first edition uh which you know slight variance to a fighter but it's pretty much a fighter with instead of like a fortitude reflex uh it's it's um will fortitude based so it's more uh, charisma focused than it is you know just pure raw strength but not either way got one tap by that thing and it was it was like, it was like oh everyone's like okay we are leaving <laughs> you know? so but, in the malevolence adventure the mm-hmm. gibbering mouther that's printed in that adventure is printed incorrectly. So the engulf action that lets you move uh, mm-hmm, up to mm-hmm. twice your move speed and engulf something is printed as a single action in that book. Oh, yes. I yes, did I not know. realize it was wrong when it, I, I wrote that one and almost killed the entire party uh, when we mm-hmm. ran through malevolence because I'm like, oh, I can just engulf all around the battlefield and go Easy. faster than moving. This Why is not? Simple. Just speed racer, <laughs> eat everyone. Right. So my follow-up question is, and that's okay if you guys don't have a plan yet, but um, do you guys know what you'd be interested in running next if you are going to run an adventure, another adventure path? Do you guys have one planned out or, or I mean, is it just so far in the future it's not even on your radar right now? Oh my God, it's so far in the future. There's, there's, that, there's an AP coming out soon that has something to do with Harrow decks and stuff that I'm really keen to play in. Yo. Um, I guess it's coming out this spring or something. Not, not Gatewalkers, mm-hmm. but a, a, it's the next one after that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm really excited for that one just because I think the whole Harrow thing, uh, our first or second episode, I did a Harrow reading. Anytime I have a Harrow reader in one of our West Marches games, one of my characters is a Harrow reader and he reads Harrow whenever he gets the opportunity to. I love doing Harrow readings. So any AP that has Harrow card related stuff, I'm mm-hmm. down for it. I can't wait till they reprint the Harrow deck because you can't get it easily now. I want a printed Harrow deck just because I think it's cool. I love the Harrow stuff. I love all the occult occult stuff in 2E. Yeah, the, for because um, someone made like a homebrew Harrow deck for second edition based on the first edition Harrow deck because that stuff was cool. Like they even had like Harrow thrower archetypes, Harrow summoner archetype stuff. It was it was pretty neat stuff. But um, all right. Well, any uh, Christian, would you, would you have any um? Is there anything you would want to see run next or anything you'd be interested in running or seeing afterwards? I'm, I do most everything homebrew as far as like adventures. I, okay. I haven't ran a published adventure for, I think the, the only one I've really run for uh pathfinder second edition is the fall of plague stone just to help get people acclimated to stuff. It's a, you know, mm-hmm. short, simple adventure. 
And I've run that for a couple of people in the Discord and uh, some of my home games. But other than that, I, I normally stick with homebrew. I have way more fun doing that than I do with the published adventures. Mm-hmm. I just I kind of enjoy the that aspect of allowing the characters to you know, play with the world as much or as little as they want. And I've played with such different people over my lifetime. You know, I have some that mm-hmm. you know, they don't even leave town. They're like, oh, I'm going to, oh, this house is empty. Is it for sale? I want to buy this house. <laughs> I want to live here. You're like, okay, the adventure path doesn't work that way. <laughs> like, you can't stop. We have to keep playing. But I can mutate a, a home game into anything to keep that, you know, keep things interesting and stuff like that. So that's one of the things that drew me to Abomination Vaults, actually, is because the story is so light. It's one place. And it's, it's one in one place. place. And honestly, oh. it's in one place, really close to Absalom, really close to a lot of other stuff. And the story is not world ending, right? No. So no. one no. of the reasons that we are. 74, 75 episodes in and haven't finished book one is because I add a lot of stuff because I think this would be cool to talk about. Or I grab stuff from later in the adventure and push it forward because I think it's a cool Mm -hmm. story hook. And I like the latitude that something that's less urgent, like Abomination Vaults, something that's in one place, like Abomination Vaults, something that has a rich cast of NPCs, but there's enough space in the town for there to be a hundred other NPCs without issue. That's why it's so good. Yeah. Atari is an awesome. And I think it's actually one of the reasons why even five E like when they, when they put it up for five E sale, it just did so well. Cause it's just like, it's, it's everything is just condensed in this one awesome little spot. Right. It's uh, you can get up to what level 10 items there and you're close and a level 10 consumables. You're so close to Absalom that it's a day and a half to get to Absalom. You could have a little shopping fun party to Absalom. You could link up. I've got some stuff in, in a store for our game that may end up leading the characters to Absalom eventually. So There's a lot of design space to be had if you are a homebrewy GM in some of these Paizo Adventure Paths like Abomination Vaults that are more sandboxy. A lot of people are like, oh, it's a mega dungeon. There's no RP. Well, that's if you want to be lazy and just run it as is. Sure, a lot of people are into that. But there's a lot of stuff going on, not only in the dungeon, but in the town and the surrounding area, the Troubles in Otari stuff, the beginner box stuff. You could pull in some stuff from Extinction Curse if you really wanted to. There's a lot of cool stuff that you can do in and around Otari. People should not sleep on Abomination Vaults just because it's a mega dungeon. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I also don't think it's, you know, it sounds like a lot, 70 some episodes, but most podcasts kind of follow that format of trying to be between an hour and an hour and a half, you know, to not, you know, just drain the listener. Oh, I'm going to listen to a three hour slog. But most home games do tend to be that three hours. So when you divide that by three, you're talking like 12 home games as far as that. So that puts in mm-hmm. a much more reasonable. Oh, hey, we've done we've played 12 games and we're you know nearing the end of book one We're or people a little past book one. I don't think we're too crazy off the mark, really. Yeah, I anticipated we would be done with book one by episode 55 when I was first like planning through. So I am way off. Mm. That's all right. That's all right. But speaking of homebrew, I have brought you gentlemen in today to give me your review on two of my homebrew ideas. So we'll go ahead and spin up the first one, the provisioner 
archetype. So since I started with um, Trevor first, we'll start with Christian first on this one. In your own words, what is the provisioner archetype? You know, the the provisioner is kind of the 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 quintessential cook of the party and you're dipping a little into alchemy to allow them to help bolster the party and reading over this i thought it was a an absolute great flavor to an archetype i could see a lot of people having a ton of fun (laughs) and like this would have been great for yosef in the beginning type of thing this is something that would have definitely went along the alley of that character I would say there are a few things I would probably beef up a little because looking at it, I would say it would be a hard choice to choose this because there's so many other archetypes that would give you a little more bite. But I I make plenty of homebrew myself, and I definitely think it is the curse of making homebrew. You don't want to be overpowerful, and at the same time, you can't you can't be so weak that it becomes irrelevant. And I have mentioned this so many times on our show that like it, it's such a fine line, too. And people have this tendency, oh, Paizo made it. It's fine. But Paizo just hires a lot of freelance people to do various things and adventures and things like that. And they don't you know, they don't vet that stuff 100 percent. So that's sometimes no. where you see things come through that you're like, oh, this is Paizo, but it's it's really different. And, you know, out of, um, oh, shoot, uh, Secrets of Magic, the Shadow Signet Ring. Oh, dude. If, yeah. if someone made <laughs> that, that item, dude. If, if you put that on the Pathfinder 2 forums and said, I made this, you would be laughed off the floor. People would be screaming, yeah. that's overpowered. Yeah. You're it's insane. Overpowered. No one mm. should ever allow this. You should never make another item die in a fire. And <laughs> so, but it's Paizo. So, oh, okay, it's fine. And it's like, when you have things like that, it is so hard to gauge because we were doing a review just last night of the treasure vaults and there are items in there that were like, this is a cool item, but unfortunately, the the level they have it at, I don't see anyone ever touching this because there are so many better options at that level. Yeah, sometimes the flavor, even though the flavor is absolutely delicious, sometimes it's just not worth sacrificing whatever feet or, or um, like, you know, especially if the feet can cover it or you have a way of substituting it. It's like, eh, I just don't, I don't see it being worth it. Sometimes that juice just ain't worth a squeeze. Quick editor's note, we are all so excited to jump into this content and start talking about it that we completely forgot to explain what it was in the first place. So we had GM Liam go back and re-record the description and the overview of this archetype so that you could hear us discuss it while having some context about what we were discussing. We are very sorry, but we get real excited about this stuff. Let's get back to it. The Provisioner Archetype. Provisioner Dedication, which is a feat level two, allows you to become cooking or trained in cooking lore and survival, allowing you to create adventurer's rations that um, uh, essentially act as a juggernaut mutagen or a modified version of that. At fifth level, you become expert in cooking lore. Twelfth, you become master. Eighteenth, you become legendary if you do not take it sooner. Um, You become trained in cooking lore if you weren't. If you were already trained in cooking lore, you instead become master. Satiated Sleep. 
feat level three, general feat. You learn how to enhance your rations, uh, granting the fast recovery general feat. If an ally consumes two rations within 24 hours, they regain twice as many hit points from resting. Nature Connoisseur, feat level four, skill feat. Uh, prerequisites, provisioner uh, and forager is required. You can use your kicking lore instead of survival to use the subsist activity. You can forego the roll and automatically succeed if you spend one hour using the subsist activity with cooking lore. Captivating Morsel, feat level six, uh, prerequisite, provisioner dedication. Uh, essentially, your the smell of your food is so enticing that you can use it to create a diversion using your cooking lore. Credit to TDH Smith on Reddit for that one. Spicing things up. Feet level eight uh, requires provisioner dedication, nature connoisseur, and master in cooking lore. When you successfully subsist using nature connoisseur, you can find spices to uh, enhance your adventurer's rations uh, to act as an indoor element spell. And if you're legendary proficiency in cooking lore, it increases to the fifth level indoor element spell. Finger looking good. Feet level 16. Uh, this allows your uh, your legendary cooking lore, and you learn to create the ultimate traveling food, uh, allowing your adventurer's rations to be not only used for temporary hit points, but for straight-up hit points instead. Last but not least, the adventure rations, item level 2 or, above, or beyond. Uh, activate 10 minutes interact. Uh, the taste of good uh, food reinvigorates your sense of adventure. You gain regain temporary hit points for list duration. Uh, type level or type lesser level two, you regain eight temporary hit points for one hour. Moderate level five, 14 hit points for four hours. Greater level 12, 32 hit points for eight hours. And major level 18, 48 temporary hit points until your next daily preparation. Yeah. Facts. And for the provisioner, Facts. I would say honestly, you would be totally fine to allow them to make one of these. Uh, what did you call them? I think they're just rations, Adventurer's right? rations. Adventurer's yeah. rations to mm. make one per level. I actually think doing one every other level, that half level, it's it at low levels. It's to me, a, a, it's better to take other classes to get other benefits from there. And I okay. do not see it at all being overpowered. And then also with the, I believe I read in there, it was 10 minutes to. 10 minutes to consume the ration. Yeah. And I didn't understand that design creation. I thought, well, why is this not a single action? The reason for that was, so in the designer's notes, I'll just read this here. I wanted to make a traveling cook archetype for second edition. And this is a result of that. I modeled my numbers for the adventurer's rations around the juggernaut mutagen. The big difference between the two is that the temporary hit points from the juggernaut mutagen can regenerate, whereas the adventurer's rations do not. Um... So it's something I wanted them to use while they're recovering. So when they go mm-hmm. into their next fight, they have a bit of a bubble mm-hmm. um, before. Yeah, you know, I would say they have, they have a bit of a bubble while going in. Cause like the juggernaut mutagen, you could feasibly keep chugging them throughout combat to keep buffing yourself with temporary hit points. But generally speaking, that's not the most most beneficial use of actions unless you're an alchemist and you can one action drink them. Well, I will. Uh, I know you haven't seen it, but there are things coming out in the treasure vault that 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 is not an issue. There is items that, yeah, no. It puts the juggernaut to shame and it's the same level. 
Yeah. Like, no, it, you would never drink a juggernaut mutagen over this other one ever. And it's really? just like, yeah, and that's, uh, that's what I'm talking other, about. The, this, this, the new item doesn't help your saves. That's, that's the only difference. Right? Yeah, but it also doesn't have a penalty. <laughs> that's true. That's so. facts. <laughs> but uh, so, you, just out of curiosity, though, for you, the Juggernaut Mugen, I, I understand the design space of what you're going for. Mm-hmm. I just personally yeah. didn't see having one action to consume that be an issue. Okay. I, I didn't think at all it made it unbalanced. I didn't think it, you know, there was no advantage being gained from some other item or something like that. And for me, when I'm designing, my first thing is I usually grab one or two other items that share the same design space and then you know how is what i'm doing different and what would i do you know is what i'm doing better than this if it is is there an offset is there a penalty Mm -hmm. and just go from there and do the best that i can to balance and i I, I do want to say I really enjoyed this. I thought it was really good. I love the feats. I I liked it overall. I just thought it could have it could get a little more oomph to it to be to stay relevant because I just feel it, it's it doesn't keep its relevance. It actually okay. is more relevant at higher level because that half level is less of an issue, but you have to start taking it at lower level to where you're not getting as big a benefit. So that's why I think giving one ration per level wouldn't really be a big deal. Okay. I I think at the very least one ration per level rounded up might be a good compromise. If you didn't want to just be like, or I'm sorry, half Half level level rounded up might be a good compromise instead of one ration per level level. If you didn't want to give one ration per level, because uh, that means that, you know, when you hit level three, you're going to get two. Yes. You know, you, instead of it, having to wait for an actual four. bounce, especially since you have a feat at third level as well. Um, I would almost make that third level feat a fourth level feat and just have two fourth level feats. Um, okay. I'm, I'm with Christian too. I think, I think this could definitely be buffed a little bit without it going nuts. Um, I understand. I, I'm, I'm not that, I'm not too uh, in the weeds on the duration of time it takes to consume it, though I think that you could adjust the uh, duration of the hit points a little bit and start it at four hours. So go four, eight, 12, and then till next daily preparations, uh, because Mm -hmm. that's more to offset. Okay, well, we had a good hearty meal at the beginning of the day. I'm good for the next couple hours instead of, well, we better get into a fight in the next hour or else this is worthless to me. Okay. So I, I mean, I guess this would I would say probably go without saying. One of the questions I have is, uh, would you guys allow this archetype if it was tuned in the way you guys would see it? Would you guys allow this archetype at the table? I'm I'm assuming that'd be a yes. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, without question. Okay. I mean, as is, I would completely allow it. I just, like I said, I feel it could be beefed up a tiny bit to keep it more relevant with other archetypes. So on a scale of one to 10, uh, one being completely underpowered and 10 being completely overpowered, where do you guys think this archetypes lands as is right now? So we'll start with Trevor. I think it's kind of right in the middle, right? And that's not so a bad thing. Five. So I'd say so five, five okay. six, maybe a little bit more towards the, to the more powerful side. Um, I think there are a lot of interesting things in here that for the right campaign, like Quest for the Frozen Flame, this is really cool for. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's very, very situationally dependent. But that's like a lot of archetypes. There's a lot of archetypes that uh, if you're that's in what they're for. a specific <laughs> game, it's a one versus a 10, depending on the type of game you're playing, right? 
So mm. I think it's a good middle of the road. I think this is usable pretty much everywhere, but there are in certain circumstances that this is going to be a better archetype. Like this isn't necessarily going to be exactly what you want if you're doing a city intrigue game or a political intrigue game or something no. like that. But if you're <laughs> no. doing a lot of traveling and you are keen on the whole like, oh, everybody's got to have trail rations and all that stuff. Really cool. I like it. All right, Christian, what about you? I would probably go with a four, like really close middle of the road, but slightly to the side of being a little underpowered. Okay. No, that's great. Great, great, great. Thank you for the feedback. Uh, Some of the feats for me, like Captivating Morsel, I loved it, thought it was really fun. But again, you know, level six, you get three. Now you've lost one doing Captivating Morsel, which... Mm -hmm. Uh, if you had more of them, sure. But when you only have three per day, uh, it's it's a heavy tax to lose that ability you have to get that flat footed for uh, a very short duration. Although I do think you should absolutely add in under Captivating Marshall. You do not take that minus four to deception because, you know, you're if you're throwing treats out, you, you never lose that. <laughs> They're right. always ready for it. Be deceived by a treat. <laughs> So outside of the dedication, I was going to say, what is your favorite feat? So I'll say Christian's is probably captivating more so then. Oh, yeah. I, I thought that was a really fun one. Yeah. Unfortunately, I, say, I can't take full credit for that one. Uh, I that saw was, that uh, that you. Yeah, I put the uh, the the Reddit users. TDH that was very cool of you to give the the credit of to course. them, too. Yeah, no, because uh, my the one I had was just like, was just, I think it was just like pure smell based um for like distraction and then he was like oh no no like you can go way way further into that and he helped, and he he submitted a a uh, a revision to it and I was like okay yeah that's I could have absolutely done way more with this uh so uh what about for you um what about for you Trevor do you have a favorite uh feed outside of the dedication I love spicing things up I think it's really cool it gives me strong Zelda Breath of the Wild vibes Right. That's so where I a got lot of times you would, you would cook something <laughs> because, oh, we can't go. One of the earliest parts of the game can't go up the mountain unless you have spicy peppers or something like that to mm-hmm. help you mm-hmm. endure the elements. And then they have the same for too hot. Uh, I think that's really cool. I like uh, the idea. I think it might be a little bit too high of level, but you got to slot something there at eight anyway. I like it. I think yeah. it's really cool. All right. Much appreciated, gents. Um Anything else you guys wanted to add about uh, provision, or did you want to move on to the second piece? Uh, I I have like one, maybe two little things. Sure, hit me. No, hit me. Hit For me. the dedication, I think that you should add the ability to just make trail rations. Period. Like the same just, way that an alchemist gets a certain amount of reagents a day, you get equal to your level or double your level of rations a day. Just the regular yeah, rations, so e- not e- the adventurous e- rations, to- but just like food oh just standard rations yeah okay because okay, people okay, need them. okay right that gives and more reason for somebody to have this in a game where they're going for high realism already where they want to sure, make sure that sure, somebody's sure. Yeah, and that alone helps offset some of the power level because again like i said i know it's not a big game mechanic in fighting but the ability to say we don't have to worry about food period I got that's, you. Exactly. That's yeah, kind of like, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a huge benefit. There is a feat uh, they put in Battle Zoo for one of their ancestries, the Opac, Opac, something. They're the this 
uh, porcine mm-hmm. ancestry. Yes. And yes. I think you should add that into here's one of their feats. They have one. I forget the name, cast iron stomach, whatever, something along those lines, but they can ingest things even while they are sickened. And this would be a really fun Damn. thing, I think, to add into this as a, a, an ability, a feat that they could take at a certain level because people sometimes forget about that and it can be devastating that you're oh sickened oh, i'm gonna drink this potion can't you're sickened can't <laughs> like, sickened, buddy. oh yeah <laughs> i i do like that idea that's a that's a really neat thing to be able to do um and that might be a good thing to add as another feat because as it stands right now you don't have a full feat tree which not every archetype needs to have a full feat tree so don't get me wrong my favorite archetype of uh, the tas- talisman dabbler does not have a full feat tree it's oh, dead at dude, level four such, such that's my favorite good, that's my favorite archetype, archetype. Period. Um, I love Marshall. Marshall's my favorite. Marshall's my second favorite. I love Marshall's. I love Marshall. (laughs) But there, I I think there's a little space in here that you could have finger licking good as two, as one feat that could be taken multiple times. Mm. So the first run of it, it allows you to take it and you just regain half of the hit points. You take it a second time. Oh, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, so maybe have it available at 12 or at 14. I also think 16 for that feat might be a little bit high. Yeah, I was, um, yeah. I think maybe throwing that sucker at 12 and allowing them to take it twice, then you get the full power by 14 might be good. Honestly, it could be even much lower because it is directly tied to the level of your adventurer's ration. So it's already got a built-in, you know. Right. It's got a built-in stop because taking it at 16th level, okay, the only thing above it is level 18 where you're getting 48 temporary hit points. But even if you took this thing at second level, it wouldn't matter. You're okay. I get four. I could get four real hit points versus eight temporary. And there's only, you know, if that level, that's one per day. You're not at all out of the realms of power in any way. Okay. So, so a scale even maybe. Okay. So, okay. All right. All right. Alternately, you could just make this instead of being two feats, make the uh the prereq be master in cooking lore and you just get an additional benefit once you hit legendary so Uh you get half at master and you get full at legendary i don't know if that's exactly what you want because legendary in a lore is a lot to ask of somebody just for max 48 hit points over 10 minutes so I don't know that yeah, that's necessarily yeah. the way that you would want to go, but it is an option if you want to keep this same sure. sort of power level and then give them more options to, well, I don't have to take this all the way to 18 because I can get some benefit by stopping at, you know, 14. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, no, I, I really appreciate the feedback. Thank you, gentlemen. And I did have on satiate, satiated sleep where you... Do you intend that one? So if you spend, if you do a full recovery, meaning you spend all day recovering, you already heal double the amount of hit points. So would this be quadruple? No. So satiated sleep is, um, so what, what it doubles as is is basically it's fast recovery, um, on a normal rest. So they would recover double. Mm -hmm hit points on a normal eight hour rest instead okay. of needing 16 hour rest for double mm-hmm. hit point recovery. Okay. Um, but I mean, yeah, if you did it twice, I mean, I guess you could. Well, that's what say. If it says, if an ally consumes two rations within 24 hours, they regain twice as many hit points from resting. 
which I'm just oh. looking at that. If I did a full rest, which is an all day rest, you actually heal double the normal amount of rest and healing you get. So if you took mm-hmm. two of these, would that then become four times? And if I don't think I don't think it's overpowered for it to be that. No, I was just no, it wasn't because, clear because to me you're consuming that. the you're consuming the provisioners yeah. resources to do so. Yeah, no, no, no. I think I think that's fine. Like, I, I mean, I didn't I didn't have an issue with it. Uh, the second piece of homebrew content that y'all are going to review is one that I feel is a little bit more unique. It is not an archetype. It is, I would call it like a variant or an optional uh, rule. Party backgrounds. So I'm going to go ahead and do a quick overview of the party backgrounds real quick. Uh, essentially, the party backgrounds are um, backgrounds that the entire party must elect to use, not three of the four players but if there's four players, all four players must elect to use these backgrounds. Um, some examples of them are acolytes, uh, charlatans, criminals, graduates, guildies, hunters, merchants, noble family, poor family, and traveling band. And within the PDF, I also include how to make your own party backgrounds. Um, so before we go into reading some examples, um, I'll ask the question to the two of you, and you can answer first. Why do you think I created party backgrounds in the first place? RP potential. That's the way I would look at it. Um, that's, that's the first thing that I would look at, is to have a cohesive party. So, you know, we have the strength of thousands adventure path. We're like, okay, play free archetype. Everybody's got to have a wizard or a druid archetype, right? Mm-hmm. Same sort of thing. All right, we are doing a... A game where we are in a city and it's a political intrigue game and you're you have one of three different party backgrounds to choose and that determines how the story is going to go that determines where you are inserted into the story i think that could be really cool as well i don't know that that's what you did but that's what jumps into my mind is it's cool design space for the gm to place characters into a game how about you christian well, if you've run as many different games as I have, players are like herding cats. So this is just a very simple way to get them all together and focused on the adventure, because I couldn't tell you how many times. All right. What's everyone playing? How do you all know each other? And they just stare at you. Oh, OK. That's my job. OK, well, you're all in a tavern <laughs> and that's how this comes about. So uh, I thought the dreaded I, tavern start. Gah! Yes, I <laughs> I loved this concept. I thought you did a fantastic job. When I looked it over, I was like, oh, this is really cool. And this is a super fun concept. And I would highly recommend it, especially to people getting into the, you know, the space Pathfinder 2 that you're just starting out in game. You're like, okay, this is kind of the game. So all of you pick this background because like with anything, when people are getting into this, the analysis paralysis of Pathfinder 2 oh. is a real thing. So to have someone simply tell you, hey, take this background and go from there, it, it eliminates one more of those things that they just have to, uh, uh. <laughs> yeah, no, so the both pretty close. The main main reason I made uh, I made party backgrounds is because for me at my table, it's actually a requirement that if I, let's say I have four players, they must be paired up at the very least, if not <laughs> one uniform background. And the reason for that I do that is 
so it's it's always nice to have a confidant even if you don't fully trust them from a from a rp like a social rp perspective to where like hey at least you know if i don't like something i have someone to bitch to about it or complain to about it and like they, they can have there's like a, a social rp bonding moment that like the um those characters can become even more bonded over like a hey like let's say let's say they had to um kill someone in an alleyway because if they didn't uh they were going to harm an innocent person and so they did so in that person's defense but you know the way things went down they didn't necessarily like you know let's say half the party agreed with and the other half like they didn't blink, blink an eye and the other half of the party was like I don't know how I really felt about that. Like we kind of took the law into our own hands. Like at least those two characters now have something they can, you know, at least they're not like, you know, having to deal with that on an individual level, they have someone they can confide in, you know? So uh, that's why I do that. But this essentially was a more enhanced version of that. And what's interesting is I kind of feel that the party backgrounds are useful for from what you were saying, Christian, where, you have a low, like if you're new to this game and like, you know, you're what I would call like your skill ceiling or like how familiar you are with the game is very low in terms of like what, you know, how much you know. This is something that's one, especially if the game master is very new, can just say, hey, everybody picks this, you know. But then when you, it, it kind of comes full circle, like when you are, you know, like if you're playing with uh, friends you've played games with for years, it almost feels like, um, it, it's almost like a challenge, like, because especially like some of the players I've played with that have been playing for, you know, well over eight years together, you know, they love the idea. Or when I presented it to them, they're like, oh my gosh, I would, we should do this for our next campaign where we're all part of a noble family. That's, that's like, why didn't we not think of this before? Like, it would make it so much easier instead of having to, not, not that getting to know characters is, is boring or like, you know, individual backstories are boring. But it, um, again, it's a great tool for a game master to go. Okay, now I now I know how to um, trigger events that one all of you would care about and would want to follow. So, yeah, Succession Galarian Edition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm of the school of any more of. Listen, I've spent hours and hours and hours and hours creating a campaign if you guys can't even put together a cohesive backstory about how your characters know each other yeah you're getting the tavern treatment and i don't care if you like it or not (laughs) (laughs) so i kind of did something like that in abomination vaults but um where i in in role for intent in our show where i i chose to pair the party members up with one another in the first episode telling you I'm telling so you. So I made that gold. happen in RP because, like, somebody said uh, there was somebody that was there for a quest. Somebody was invited to the town in order to find somebody, right? Okay. So the mayor had invited him and said, Hey, you're going to need help. You don't want to go out there by yourself. Take this guy with you. And it put them together. Hey, and easy. somebody else was like, Hey, I want you to check out the tower because I'm spooked. But you need to take mm-hmm. this local guy that I know has experience in ruin delving. Take him with you. 
and it puts them together and you have those groups. Now, that's not always something you can do in a home game, because when we did our show, I had everybody submit their concepts, multiple concepts to me before Mm -hmm. we recorded the first episode. And I actually chose Mm -hmm. what their first character would be based on the concepts that they sent me, which is maybe a little railroady. But if you're doing a show and I've got to write all this extra stuff, anything Uh, that gives me a leg up to do it a few weeks (laughs) in advance is going to help. But I love, absolutely love the party backgrounds. I love the rules for party backgrounds. I'm thinking up a party background right now. I'm thinking up of a, a, you know, Teamsters looking for a Teamsters. I want a a Teamsters group, (laughs) right? I want to, I want a strong union based uh, party because I have an idea for a, a one shot that is, you know, like. Uh, organized labor themed right so that is a perfect Mm -hmm. party background to do okay they're teamsters guildies works kind of well for that as well Mm -hmm. uh i love this i think it's amazing i think it's great for rp i really do like the idea of either requiring one or two i also like the idea of giving them a list of backgrounds they can use for the campaign so yes. for I keep going yes. back to the city based intrigue because it's a really easy one to theory craft. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. OK, so you have to be charlatans or you have to be uh, criminals or a noble family or merchants. That's it. You can't pick any other background. It has to be that you can pick two backgrounds. Two of you can be one. Two of you can be the other. And that impacts how the story is going to play out. Because that's a really good tool for generating your story as a GM, not just for their RP, but for your own enjoyment. Because as Christian says all the time, Mm -hmm. your GM is a player too. Don't forget them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'll go ahead and uh, just so there's some some reference here. I'll go ahead and read. So you you were talking about charlatans. Guildies, and I'll just do merchants. So we'll start with charlatans, just so people have an idea of how these work. So charlatans, background. All of you have gotten away with scams much longer than you should have, or perhaps you all have bonded over peddling false goods to each other. Either way, you've all recognized that you might be able to get away with a scam you could only dream of now that you, quote-unquote, trust one another. Choose two ability boosts. One must be intelligence, wisdom, or... uh, Oop, I meant the right charisma in there. And one is a free ability boost. Uh, you are trained in the deception skill and the scribing lore skill. You can also choose between the charlatan, charming liar, or experienced professional scribing skill feed. Um, <clears throat> guildies. You have all worked for the same guildmaster for a number of years. Perhaps you seek to expand the guild's reputation through adventuring, or perhaps you all wish to start a guild of your very own. Choose two ability boosts. One must be strength, cost- constitution, or intelligence, and one is a free ability boost. You are trained in the crafting skill and the guild lore skill. Um, oh my goodness, I got cut off in the PDF. There was supposed to be more to that. Um, essentially, you gain the specialty crafting skill is what I meant to put in there. I don't know how that got cut off, but that's good. Um, and then merchants. Uh, merchants background. Some adventurers are in it for the fame. Some are in it for the glory. But there is no question as to what matters the most to your group. The coin. Choose two ability boosts. One must be intelligence, wisdom, or charisma, and one is a free ability boost. You are trained in diplomacy, deception, and mercantile lore. Uh, If your first ability boost was intelligence, you can choose between gaining the crafter's appraisal and quick repair skill feat. If your first ability boost was wisdom, you can choose between gaining the charming liar or the lie to me skill feat. And if your first ability boost was charisma, you can choose between the bargain hunter or hobnobber skill feat. So essentially how these custom back, uh, party backgrounds work 
is you choose a pre-existing uh, background from Pathfinder 2nd Edition. You add some fun flavor text as to why the party might select that background. You then add an ability boost uh, to select for more build potential. Because generally speaking, a, a background will have two ability boosts. So like Intelligence Charisma or like Intelligence Wisdom. And it usually only has two. But because you're building for an entire party, you need an additional one just for some more build flexibility. Uh, and then use the same skills for the group to become trained in as the pre-existing background you chose. Uh, and then choose up to three skill feats that correspond with the skills given in the previous step. Just so we have some reference there. So, gents, on a scale from one to ten, one being completely underpowered and ten being completely overpowered, where would you place this? Uh, I personally would put this at a five. I do not think it is under or overpowered. I think you have that sweet spot right there in the middle. If you were to pressure me and say, you know, if there was something I could change or would change, what would that be? I would add more skill options because like, you know, when I look at Acolyte, having the entire party trained in religion and scribing lore is kind of meh. I would add a couple more options like what you've done with the feats where you added, okay, and like the ability scores, since this is for the whole party, let's let's make it a slightly more robust choice. That way we don't have everyone in the group identical because that doesn't work for every character. So I think that would be my only thing I might recommend and even say maybe like you're trained in a wisdom skill or an intelligence skill and this just i mean there's a lot of different ways you could go about it type thing but i I would say that would be my only recommendation well you have to think about like for that alkalite for example they all get pilgrim's token which is an astoundingly powerful feat in my opinion that's available very low just being able to go first when you tie initiative with a monster is a big deal Honestly, I mean, that's a that's a no, what do you think about the what do you think about the special that? for the acolyte? Oh, yeah, no, that's really cool. I, I like false faith. Um, we had somebody that played in one of our early. In fact, the guy that played Tovin Todd in our early society games, he did a cleric of Rova Gug. And his whole thing is he, <laughs> he had high deception so he could do false faith so he could fool people that he wasn't a worshiper of Rova Gug. Uh, I think it's really cool. And and I, I would like to see more things that are, are special conditions to some of these. I actually like the latitude of skill feats that you have because some of them it's based on the, the boost that you took. I'd like to see more of that, but I think a lot of that okay. is open more, more boost bes- option. Okay. Yeah. More, well, more skill options that are tied to the boost that you take. Um, okay, because that allows, based on boost, yeah, Skill feats based on boosts, maybe even the uh, training based on the boost that you take. I know that there's a little unevenness in some of these because you do have Acolyte that only gives you religion and scribing lore. But then you go down to, uh, I think it was Charlatans. Trying to remember which one it was. But it gives you boosts to more than two. So you could get a boost to three skills. So like with judicious application of some of these and specific mm-hmm. classes and ancestries you mm-hmm. could start the game trained in nearly every skill if my math is right you can be trained in all but one skill if you take an elf thaumaturge with the tome at level one uh, there's one of or these that gives a, you training if you take a skills. skilled 
skilled human. Skilled rogue. human too. Right. Skilled human rogue like can literally start with all like a train and all. It's kind of disgusting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I like it, though. I mean, I'm not saying that's overpowered. Yeah. You're building this for a party, though. And I just I don't like things where a player, you know, one of those players might be we're going to do criminals. You're like, awesome. I want to be the muscle. I'm going to be this big, brutish barbarian. I don't even have that great a dex. And you look, oh, look, I get thievery, stealth and underworld lore. Okay, I'm not going to use any of those. And also experience smuggler, pickpocket and subtlety. Okay, I'm not going to use any of those either for this option. That's what I say. Just a couple of things that might allow people to branch off in different decisions because it is for a group. Because, sure, playing criminals sounds fun, but I could I could tell you right now I could play any class and have fun being a criminal. But I cannot make those choices work for any class when there's already a bunch of people that are going to be doing that. So to create their own separate identity instead of, OK, which one of us wants to do pickpocketing because we're all awesome at it. OK, no. Okay. That's so why I like up. the idea of getting your skills or your, like your, your skill feature, your skill boosts based on the ability boost you take. And I like that so you did like, that in a few like of these because it allows well, like merchants. Yeah, exactly. It allows okay. for specialization based on what you took and allows that player to maybe lean into the trope of that background of somebody that took that ability boost because i think of a merchant that took you know uh charisma and he's like a used car salesman right or oh, one yeah, the that took, hunter. <laughs> uh, wisdom and he is you know he's the guy that is um the long game right he's he's wise enough to not sell off his assets at the first sign of trouble the intelligence mm-hmm. guy is just running all the spreadsheets and just maximizing his profit as oh, quick yeah. as he can right so you can lean into some of those archetypes I say archetype broadly as if there's not something called archetype. You can lean into the tropes. <laughs> I know what you mean. All of the background, <laughs> right? By utilizing gated skill feats and skill boosts based on the ability boost. And that's something that I really wish that Paizo did, did in the regular backgrounds. Um, and a lot of people will say, oh, that's, that's dumb because it pigeonholes you. I, I really don't think that it does i think the whole idea of a background and i think the idea of a background should be more rp focused than it should be mechanics focused i think that the mechanics should serve the rp not really necessarily the other way around in the case of backgrounds so i agree with christian yeah. but i also disagree with christian on this one no no you're fine you're fine no i mean because like the thing for me too was the reason i love the idea of a party background um, is because it should serve as the like how I put it. If you have a a group of like, let's say you all are noble family, that's not something you just can choose to not be anymore. Like generally right. speaking, like it's something that's gonna really be the glue to the party. Um, you know, you all were you know whether or not you can't you know if you were all graduates. Whether you cared that you graduated or your mom and dad made you go, you all were graduates and you all are, you all degrees, are in it together. Baby. Yeah, D's get degrees. Exactly. And so, it's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where it's like the one of the, 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 the RP versions of what I love about them is like, you know, it's something that 
you know, whether or not you choose to be in the future, it's something that can permeate or like it's a decision that can permeate through the rest of the, of the story. And again, the game master is going to be using it for the story. Um, if, if you're choosing to use a rule set like, or an option like this. And what I like about that is like, I feel that backgrounds, unfortunately, you know, kind of uh, fall prey to what you were discussing, where it becomes more of, Oh, I just need that mechanic right now. Or I need to be able to do that mechanic, you know, or it's like, well, well, if I, you know, I don't, I'm not going to get as much, or, or how I put this, as a game master, if I feel like you're not going to really care about this long term, then it's like, okay, well, I'm not probably going to use that part of your backstory or your background, you know. So, again, I like the the potential it serves just because it makes the game master, and it's not, be, it's not that the game master's life should be easy, but what people really fail to understand is, when you make the game master's life easier in terms of being able to throw a bone that I know is going to sit well with the party because you guys are bound by something, it makes the story that much easier or it makes it, it makes um, writing, you know, interesting plot hooks and interesting side quests that much more interesting because I know it's going to work because you guys are it's bound easier, by something where it's, it's just easier like, to write a compelling story. Yes, that yeah, involves a known quantity. Then, yes, okay, well, I have this really cool plot hook, but uh, now the party is, um, you know, he's a circus guy, and there's an acolyte, and there is a gunslinger, and then there's this dude that's got a magical spider attached to his back that he's, talks through his. I mean, he, yeah, how, do I, a, how do I relate to this? Uh, well, like he's like a hermit. It's like, cool. Right. Like, you know, how am I going to make this interesting for everyone? Like, for everyone, you know. Um, and it's not that, um, you know, we don't accept that challenge, of course, you know, because of course we do. But um, it's like, man, like, uh, I can only imagine. And I and I plan on I plan on trying this in the next uh the next campaign I run or the next adventure path I run to see because uh, the thing is you can even apply it to adventure path backgrounds too that it's not limited to just right. you know your general backgrounds like you know go go ham you know so I I, I think um, the next time that I run a one shot for somebody I'm going to enforce this just speaking period. of Speaking of, um, just real quick, I'm going to shove this in here. Because, uh, Christian, you were talking about how you don't generally run adventure paths. I cannot recommend Sundered Waves one shot enough. I it run is, it. I've run it. It's amazing. It's you know, if, you, if, you, if you ever needed to run a one shot or something at it's home the best to introduce people. It's the Paizo uh, little one shot. One shot. One. 100%. Yeah. Level five, number one. So, especially if those players are experienced, somewhat experienced. They're level five. They're not level one. It's a one shot where you're not level one, which is huge. <laughs> so either way. So um, how I put this? Uh, I mean, I think you guys pretty much answered this question, but uh, just for the clarity. Um, so would you guys ever encourage your players at your tables in future content to use this? I guess I'm more interested to hear Christian's answer. So I'll have Christian go second because he's the homebrew GM. So Trevor, you're up first. Yes, 100%. Uh, I will, I will use this next time. I I will shamelessly use this next time I run a one shot. That's not structured. Like if I'm like, Hey, let's play a one shot to record as a, a palate cleanser or something. 
absolutely. I think this is great. If I'm ever going to be doing a Twitch stream or anything in the future for charity, we've done those in the past. This is one of those things that if I'm not GMing, I'm going to recommend it to the GM because this is such a powerful tool for generating a story quickly for generating chemistry quickly and when you're playing one four to five hour game you need all the shortcuts you can get to make your story compelling your characters relatable uh and to provide the glue for the story that you're putting together so before christian answers would you ever recommend this for a long term like a like an abomination vaults run I would have more trouble recommending it for that simply because while it serves the party at the beginning of the game, as it goes on and characters die, it's hard for you to be able to say, okay, well you have to get another person from your noble family to join this adventure. Well, why weren't they here before? Oh, because they were busy. Uh, I mean, I would have more trouble <laughs> doing that because you were alive. Then, silly. Exactly, <laughs> they were doing things. <laughs> this is uh, this is this is William's brother, Philium. No, um, and then they make the same character. Uh, I would not necessarily use it for that. I think this is much better served for a one shot or maybe a really small Even story a module arc. or adventure. A module, yeah, exactly. Like a, yeah, a module or yeah. an adventure or something like that. I I like it. I don't see the level of storytelling benefit to a long form game unless mm-hmm. you are going to continually require that background for every character coming in, which if you can make it work, make it work. But I think it's hard to make that work. No, that's fair. That's fair. Thank you. All right, Christian, let's hear it. It would completely depend on the adventure, honestly. Like, you know, if there was a pirate one and we're doing a pirate adventure, yeah. If you're doing some kind of uh, something like a a Harry Potter, you went to this magical academy and now you still work in this capacity with it, then graduates, hands down. Yes, everyone take this. This is going to be great for your characters. I would have a problem telling and just this brings me back to what I already said. I have a problem telling a player you have to take this when I know 100 percent it will not benefit their character at all and they would never have mm-hmm. chosen it on their own so you know you, if we're looking again if it acolytes well okay i want again i want to be this brawny beefy guy that isn't concerned with any of this so i would much rather have warrior and i'm kind of the guard around here and to sell them nope you've got to take acolyte that in itself kind of pulls them away from it if they're a new player i will say you know, there are lines in the sand when you've been playing these, you know, if you've been playing TTRPGs for, say, you know, like you said, you have people been playing eight years. So like five years and under, you were very concerned. I want to do what I want to do. But then you hit that maybe eight to 12 year range that you're like, oh, yeah, no, I, I enjoy the challenge. I, I'll play. Th- I want to play this, but I can work it into what you want to do. And then you hit that 12 year mm-hmm. plus where they're literally hand me anything. I will play it. You hand me a character, <laughs> yeah. you tell me yeah. what I'm doing, and I'll be happy to play that character is to fit into your story. So there, mm. people grow with this hobby just like anything else. So like anything, it just depends on the campaign, depends on the people, and depends on a lot of things. But 
you know, I also would have to, hey, everyone, we're going to play an all barbarian game. You're a barbarian from a barbarian tribe, or we're going to all play sorcerers from these different things. And everyone's like, that's awesome. We want to do that. So, you know, getting mm-hmm. buy in from everyone is kind of key for me. So I would never really force it on everyone unless, you know, we really talked about it beforehand and this is the game we're going to oh. do. And everyone was like, yeah, cool. This sounds fun. I'm going to make something and I know what this is so I can tailor into that type of thing. Oh, hundred percent. It'd be an optional system. Of course, hundred percent optional. <laughs> yeah. Not, not required, but yeah, I think, like I said, I think it's just a fun thing. If everyone, oh, no, if I love it. Board, I, I think it's yeah. a fantastic concept. I, I like writing. It's really cool. Adventures that are, are tailored to like Christian said, uh, all barbarian or all orcs or something like that. I love that um, stuff. I all love barbarian. That stuff. This, we're going to play Barbie's dream house. All barbarian. <laughs> but yeah, I, I love the idea of a more homogenized group for a few reasons. One of them being that it, it I think it, it makes the game more interesting because they don't have the tool set necessarily available to them. Okay, well, when everybody mm-hmm. smashes, not every problem can be a, you know, not every problem is going to be a nail. So they have to figure their way out of those situations where they can't smash their way out. Same thing with mm-hmm. a wizard. You might not be able to think your way out of this problem. Yeah. All right. Well, gentlemen, that is all I have for the, uh, I, w- I want to say, first of all, thank you for letting me take over your show and host you guys. I don't think we had a uh, choice. It was a blast. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he knows food traps work on me. So this is just, you just poison the food, set it out. And yeah, I, I go down like a, like a shot rhino. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a blast. And uh, like I said, I'll, uh, I'll send you guys links for uh, those PDFs or however we'll, we'll take care of that and see if we can get that out, out to uh, maybe I'll send it to you guys as discord or through discord or something. We'll figure it out. Um, either way. Thanks for letting me take over your show and uh, host you guys. Uh, Any other final words before we dip out? Oh, it was a pleasure. I always enjoy having you on and love your content. Everyone, please check out Cardinal Adventures. Liam's got a lot of stuff going on. He's running podcasts. He's doing YouTube stuff. So please check him out. Absolutely. Check out his quest for the Frozen Flame game. I think you got your Abomination Vaults game. Go for it. Check it out. Thank you. Well, I'm GM Liam. And I'm Trevor. And I'm Christian. And this has been Roll for Intent. Bye, y'all.